Easter is the number one day in church attendance worldwide. Many celebrate it, but few understand its importance. How can Easter change our lives today? Find out on today's episode of A View from the Wall. Join I Am A Watchman Ministries Managing Editor Joe Kerr with co-host Dylan Burroughs, bringing you a fascinating discussion regarding the importance of Bible prophecy and Christian living today as it relates to our responsibility as believers to be watchmen. This is A View From The Wall. Welcome to A View From The Wall. I'm Dylan Burroughs here with co-host Joseph Kerr, and we are honored to join you today. Easter is commonly known for hunting eggs, eating candy, or dressing up for a church service. But the day we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus means so much more, both when it first took place and for our lives today. Our guest today, Daniel Darling, addresses these issues in his new book from Moody Publishers called The Characters of Easter. He emphasizes the lives of the people first involved in the Easter story, as well as applications for us now. And let me tell you a little bit about Daniel as we begin today. Because Daniel Darling is the Senior Vice President of Communications at National Religious Broadcasters and the author of nine books. Some of these include The Original Jesus, The Characters of Christmas, and now The Characters of Easter. Daniel's work has been featured in USA Today, Washington Post, and Christianity Today. He and his wife, Angela, have four children, attend Green Hill Church in Mount Juliet, Tennessee, where Daniel serves as pastor of teaching and discipleship. We welcome you today, Daniel, to A View from the Wall. Glad to have you with us. Well, I'm glad to be on the radio with y'all. Thank you for having me. Well, definitely. For those of us who celebrate the Easter season and the resurrection of Jesus, there is no better topic. But sometimes we forget what it was really like when it first started. I think about that first Easter, and it's easy for us to be hard on people like Peter and John who didn't get the story. But we want to start with what it was like for them in the beginning without really understanding what they were thinking and how much they gave up. Uh, They spent three years of earthly ministry with Jesus. What would it have been like to experience those three years with Jesus during that time? Well, you you expressed it well. I mean, these were young men who had their whole lives ahead of them, um, and they gave up a lot to spend three years with Jesus with, you know, they didn't know all that they were signing up for. Uh, Jesus, you know, didn't have a lot of money. He didn't know where they had had, so they were giving up financial security and a lot of things. Think of like Peter and John, for instance. They had a pretty stable situation in Capernaum. Uh, they were part of this fishing business that was a, a good business where they would get fish and either sell them locally or be distributed across uh, to uh, the Mediterranean around the Roman Empire. Um, they had it really good and they gave all that up because they were compelled by Jesus that, you know, you think of Andrew uh, coming to Peter after seeing Jesus and, and saying, he's the one, you can just imagine him like shaking his brother and saying, we found him. We found the one. Right. Uh, so they gave up quite a bit. And I think we are too hard on them. I think we think that we would have done better. We would have saw things differently, but uh, they really were courageous for following Jesus. You make a point when you talk about that of tracing the story of Peter specifically and how he went from being a casual observer to being a devoted follower of Christ and ultimately giving his life for the cause of Christ. But give us a little bit of the background on that. Peter followed Jesus even after the resurrection. Um, tell us a little bit about Peter's story. Yeah, the, the call of Peter to ministry is just fascinating because it was not one moment, but it was a series of 
of calls. It was, you know, as C.S. Lewis calls God the pound of heaven, uh, Jesus really pursuing Peter. I mean, first we know that Peter and Jesus likely interacted with each other there in Capernaum. Peter had gone to see Jesus with his brother. Uh, Jesus had been at his home. He'd healed his mother-in-law. But then there was a moment where Jesus appears on the beach after Peter and John had had a long, unsuccessful night on the sea. He performs that miracle of filling up their nets with fish, uh, as if to say, you know, if you follow me, I will take care of you. I will, I will provide for you. You will be cared for. And then he says, you know, I will make you fishers of men. And they followed him. Uh, but then we go through Peter's life, ups and downs. He affirms that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. He says he's gonna, they're going to stick with Jesus even after others left. You know, John chapter 6, he says, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. But then, of course, we have the worst moment in Peter's life where uh, he denies knowing the Lord, that he's trying to get there in the inner circle and trying to see what's going on with the trial of Jesus, and he ends up denying the Lord. Peter had an overestimation of his own of his own courage, of his own toughness, of his own bravery, and um, but then we see Jesus at the end in John twenty one re- restore Peter to ministry and perform the same miracle that he did with his first calling, as if to say the call is still there that I I'm calling you to to lead and shepherd and feed my people. And I think the story of Peter and all of us is that. Uh, we have to be emptied of ourselves, of our own self-assurance and self-righteousness and filled with the Spirit. And this is the same person who is on the day of Pentecost preaching that thousands come to faith in Christ, the same one who was cowered away in fear, the same one who was uh, pretty impulsive in terms of his words. But Jesus took these young men who were really raw, really were not qualified, were not trained in the rabbinical schools, were not the people that you would earmark as future leaders of a revolution, and yet he took them in the Spirit of God used them to build the church. Well, that's a good way to put it. And I love in the book of Acts where it talks about how they were brought before the religious leaders and they took note that these ordinary men had been with Jesus. Mm. It wasn't about their education. It was about their experience with Jesus during his time on earth. But we have a couple minutes before the break, and we want to also talk about some of the women who served with Jesus during his time on earth. Talk a little bit about who they were and about their importance at the resurrection in the empty tomb. It's a, a remarkable thing that Jesus even had female followers. It wasn't very um, customary to have disciples, to have followers of a rabbi like that, that were women. So that, that kind of shows how Christianity elevates women in many ways. But then uh, I think one of the most remarkable things about the resurrection story is that the first people that are witnesses of the resurrection, of Jesus defeating sin, death, and the grave, the first ones to see the empty tomb the first ones chosen to be evangelists to share this message with the world are not the 12 disciples. They're not Pilate, who's the governor, not um, the religious leaders, but it's these five, well, there's probably more than five, but at least there's five women that are named in the Gospels. Uh, Women who would otherwise have no agency or power. Uh, Women weren't even believed as witnesses in the first century, and yet this is who a God in his sovereign plan chose to be the messengers of this miracle. 
Well, that's such a significant point. And so many times today, we often overlook the significance of some of these details. When we come back, we're gonna take a quick look at some of the other aspects of the characters of Easter with our friend, Daniel Darling. So stay with us. We'll be right back with more on A View From The Wall. From I Am A Watchman Ministries, here's today's I Am A Watchman Minute. The story of King Hezekiah is a story that reveals the grace of God. There was a time when Hezekiah was blessed with a great victory over an enemy. But when the people praised Hezekiah for the victory, he did not direct them to give glory to God, and God was not pleased. So God sent a prophet to tell the king that because of this sin, his reign and his life were over. Hezekiah was told to put his affairs in order for tomorrow he was going to die. What would you do? He was guilty. God had declared judgment. Well, Hezekiah prayed. He cried out for forgiveness, and it was granted. God forgave the king and restored the king. And from this story, we learn that it is never too late to ask for forgiveness and turn to God, and that God's grace is always greater than our sin. Be bold. Be faithful. Be a watchman. Iamawatchman.com Welcome back to A View from the Wall. As Joe and I continue our conversation about the characters of Easter with Daniel Darling, I want to feature someone we often misunderstand in the Bible. It's the disciple Thomas. Now, Daniel, you write that we often misunderstand Thomas. He's called Doubting Thomas, and yet many of us can sympathize with him because we have had our own doubts too. Tell us a little bit about what we can learn from his story and the doubts that he brought to Jesus. Yeah, I hate that we call him Doubting Thomas, and I don't know where that started. Uh, it's not quite fair to his story. Let's remember that Thomas gave up everything to follow Jesus, just like the other disciples. And Thomas was also empowered by Jesus to to minister to people. He was faithful for three years. It's interesting, the Gospels only record three times in which Thomas speaks. They only record the words of him three times. The first time is when the disciples were debating whether, and, and Jesus were debating whether or not to go back to Bethany. To, uh, to be with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And it was a dangerous time, and Jesus' enemies were there. And Thomas speaks up at the end of this discussion and says, let's go die with Jesus. So this was not a person who uh, had a lack of courage. He was willing to right. die with Jesus. He was someone who wanted to count the cost and see what what he was signing up for. But once he did, he was he said, let's, I'm willing to die with Jesus. The second time we see him speak is uh, in the upper room where um Jesus is explaining, you know, very, the very difficult news that he's going to be leaving and sending the Holy Spirit. And he says, I'm going to go prepare a place for you, and you can't go where I'm going. And Thomas, basically, after hearing all this, asked another analytical question. Okay, Lord, how can we know the way? Which is a great question, which is the question that every seeker asks. How do we know the way? To which Jesus replied, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Um, and then the last time we see him is in between crucifix, you know, after the resurrection. You know, Thomas is likely despondent like the other disciples. Uh, everything he believed in had not come to pass. He thought had not come to pass. The, the one he loved had been unjustly tried and crucified. He's probably wondering, did I believe in the wrong side? Did I get duped? And so the other disciples had had an appearance with Jesus in the upper room. But you, you read the gospel and it makes it very clear that there was an emptiness there because Thomas was not with them in that first appearance of Jesus after the resurrection. So in the week after that, they 
they go to Thomas, who's clearly despondent, and um, he's saying, I will not believe unless I see the nail prints in his hands. But the disciples are basically pulling him back from doubt and despondency. And then there's the second appearance in that same upper room, that same place where Jesus had said, I am the way, the truth, and life, the same place they'd had the last supper. And Jesus appears again, and he shows him his scars. And Thomas's reaction is the natural reaction to anybody who encounters the risen Christ. He says, my Lord and my God. So Thomas had very serious questions. He had very serious doubts like all of us do. But he was willing to follow those to their logical conclusions. And when they led to Jesus, he all he could do was worship. And, you know, uh, tradition says that Thomas spent the rest of his life uh, evangelizing India and was eventually martyred for his faith. So he's someone that we should really admire in a, uh, as uh, a pillar of the church. I love that you didn't leave the difficult characters out of the story because you talk about Judas in your book as well. And you say that he was once a gospel preacher. We've recently seen a number of prominent gospel preachers who have claimed that they've left their faith. Is that what you're talking about that happened with Judas or what exactly are you addressing there? It's really it really is shocking when you look at the life of Judas. We, we think of him in his betrayal and that's how he's remembered. But let's remember, he too gave up everything to follow Jesus. He was deputized like the other ones to go out and preach the gospel of the kingdom. It's undoubtedly that he preached the kingdom and healed folks, and many came to believe in the gospel, believe in Jesus because of his words. How could he betray the Lord? And that's the question that people have asked for 2,000 years. But it seems like Judas uh, believed in the idea of Jesus. And the idea of a of a kingdom that would that would conquer Rome, that would be a political revolution, one that would end the the Roman occupation. But I think towards the end, Judas kept looking at Jesus and seeing Jesus doing all the wrong things. If you're building a sort of political movement, he's pushing disciples away instead of adding. He's allowing a, uh, an extravagant expense of this perfume to be spent in worship on him instead of saving this money. Uh, he's not resisting the arrest of the authorities. He's not summoning the angels of heaven to fight back. He's willingly going to the cross. He's talking about death and resurrection. And I think over time, Judas started to think, man, I invested in the wrong Messiah. So he liked the idea of Jesus, but never really made Jesus his Lord. And what's really sad and tragic about Judas is, you know, he, sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, which it really isn't that much money. It's almost like he cut his losses. But at, after he had done this, he expressed incredible remorse. And he comes to the religious leaders and, and basically says that he realizes what he did was wrong. And they have nowhere to send him. They have no hope to give him. And it's tragic because Judas could have realized that the one whom he betrayed also bore his sin and could have been his savior. Uh, you think of the contrast with him and with Peter. Peter had denied the Lord, but was broken by the cross and found salvation and peace and forgiveness in the one he had denied. Judas instead never found that. And I think it's a tragic tale that today a lot of times people turn to religion to find hope and they, they don't find the gospel. They, they find a dead end. And that, that's a really sad. Uh, state of affairs. 
Well, that's so well said. And there's one character we also want to address who's not spoken of as much, but it's the story of Pontius Pilate. You know, it's interesting for me that we talk about government and governing leaders as being those that we push to uh, somehow represent our values and to bring hope to our nation. But many times Jesus shows in the Bible or God shows in places in the Bible that it's his power that is ultimately what we need to follow instead of the power of great political leaders and this is a great example. Tell us a little bit about it. It's really interesting. If you were living in the first century in Palestine, you would be fearful of Pontius Pilate. You would look and say, there's the power of Rome. Contrast him with this itinerant rabbi from Nazareth. And these two converge at the trial of Jesus. And Mm -hmm. from an earthly perspective, it looks like Pilate has all the power. In fact, that's essentially what Pilate is saying. Is he's pulling Jesus back into, the, into his um, chambers, and he's pleading and essentially saying, Hey, Jesus, help me help you. He knows Jesus is innocent, but his hands are tied. He's got a mob that he has to appease. He doesn't want to lose his stature because Rome would be upset with that if he let all this play out. But really, from a heavenly perspective, Jesus is the one who had all the power. Jesus is the one who is the Son of God. and um, it looks like Jesus is on trial, but really he wasn't because he'd already accepted the cup of God's wrath. He'd already laid down his life. It's really Pilate who's on trial before the Almighty. And, you know, 2,000 years later, we only know Pontius Pilate as a footnote to the story of Jesus. It's, you know, the, the oldest Christian creed, the Apostles' Creed, makes a point of saying in there that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate as a way of a historical marker, but also as a way of contrast as you said, there are the kingdoms of men and the kingdoms of God. We think the kingdoms of men are so powerful, but they rise and fall. The Roman government rose and fall, Pilate rose and fall. But today, still, you know, he's on the worship King Jesus is on the throne. Amen. Well, that's well said, and there's so much more to come. So stick with us here for another segment on A View from the Wall. The Bible predicts the rapture of the church is coming. Are you ready? Soon many will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Only they will escape the dark days that are coming, a time of tribulation that will usher in the Antichrist and great destruction upon the entire earth. There's only one escape, one way, one light, one truth. His name is Jesus. He came and died so that we may live forever with him. But to receive this new life, there are three things we must do. The ABCs of salvation. A. Admit you're a sinner and that you need a Savior. Ask for forgiveness and receive His grace. B. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He came, lived, died, rose again, and will come again. Believe that He is Lord and God. C. Commit to walk His path the path he wants you to walk, and walk it out by faith. Then you'll be ready for the return of the Lord. To learn more about the rapture and how to know for sure, visit amiraptureready.org.
Welcome back. As Joe and I talk with the author Daniel Darling about the Easter season, I want to again draw our attention to Scripture. If you look at 1 Corinthians 15, it includes Paul's description of the events of Easter, calling it a matter of first importance. And it's also the most popular day in our nation for people to attend church. And yet last year, many churches were closed due to the pandemic, and some are just recently returning. So Daniel, as we talk in the last segment about the upcoming Easter celebration, many of us will celebrate at church. How does this contrast with some of the difficulties we've been facing as a nation and as a world in the pandemic over the past year? Well, it's interesting. I mean, Easter is always an important holiday for Christians because, as Paul said, you know, if, if Christ is not risen from the dead, then of all people, religious people should be most miserable. In other words, we're wasting our time. But if he is risen from the dead, it changes everything. It means that... Um, hope is on the horizon. It means that those who are in Christ will rise again, body and soul. But I do think this time Easter means even more. If you think last year, most of us, all of us couldn't gather uh, for our traditional Easter celebration. Uh, this year, more people are gathering. Um, and there's something that the Easter message says to the moment we're in. You know, all around us, we're faced with uh, turmoil. We're faced with a divided country, a divided world. Um, even a divided church, uh, we're more awakened to the reality of reality of death with a, a global pandemic, an invisible virus that has brought us to our knees. And the Easter story says that um, there's hope on the horizon. I, I love that Easter is in the spring because you know after a long hard winter, spring you see signs of life again, uh, grass growing and flowers growing, flowers blooming. Um, and that's what Easter is. Easter is saying, after a long, hard winter, something new is coming. Uh, that uh, Jesus has come, he has defeated sin, death, and the grave, and he has come to not only restore renew and restore human souls, he also has come to renew and restore the world. Uh, that this broken world is not always going to be broken. But God has come in Jesus uh, to fix what has been broken. I, I don't think there's ever been a more timely message for the world. The world is crying out for for hope. The world understands that things around us are broken, reaching for all these solutions. This is why people get involved in politics, whatever side of the aisle you're on. People just they know things are not right, and they're not what they should be, and they want to fix them. We're saying there is a solution to the world's problems, and it's, it's in the empty tomb from 2,000 years ago. Daniel, all of that is so good. I love that you outlined the characters as well as you did. We have a lot of listeners who refer to themselves as watchmen, and we like to end each program by addressing the watchmen specifically, those who watch, warn, witness, and seek to finish well in these last days, especially as we approach this time of Easter and the Passover time of the year. What is the challenge for our watchmen? Well, I think it's a great think to want to be a watchman, and I think of Jesus uh, pleading words to his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane to both watch and pray. Pray because our power is on our knees. We we cannot do any of this ourselves. We we need the power of the Spirit of God. We are helpless without ourselves. Peter saw that when he tried to fight in his own strength. He didn't do very well. uh, But then we also need to watch. So we don't just pray, we watch, which means we act, we 
we we do what's in front of us. We obey the commands of the Lord. We're bold. We're courageous in a time where we need Christians to have courage. We need Christians to stand firm on what they believe. Stand firm on the good news of the gospel. Stand firm on what uh, Christ calls us to do. Well, that's so well said. And again, this is Daniel Darling talking about the characters of Easter. And I do want to encourage you to go to Daniel's website, DanielDarling.com. That's DanielDarling.com. You can pick up a copy of this book for your own study and to give to others as well as check out his podcast. And again, Daniel, it's been wonderful to have you here on A View from the Wall. I know uh, we have uh, just a little bit of time left, and I want to take a moment in this Easter season to just give a short prayer for those who may be discouraged with what's going on in our world and just to remind people about the hope that we have in the resurrected Jesus. So if you would just end our time today with a short prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we're so grateful and thankful uh, that you have called us to live in this place in this, this time. We know that uh, the things that uh, shake us here on earth do not shake heaven. We know that you are not surprised by anything that's going on in the world. Uh, Lord, we know that there are many listening who may be going through very difficult trials and circumstances or sickness or have lost a loved one or financial distress or relationship issues. Lord, I pray that you would be near to them and you would be their good shepherd and uh, their good father. Uh, Lord, help us as Christians to not get um, discouraged, to uh, seize the moment, to understand that you have placed us and called us to minister in this time in this place uh, for a purpose. Help us to be bold to share the good news of the gospel with people who have not heard, to stand up for what we believe, but also to do it with kindness and gentleness and winsomeness, Lord, that we might win people uh, through our, our Christian spirit. Lord, we pray and thank you for this good ministry and that it would continue to serve people, whoever listens in the listening area. In your name we pray. Amen. And thank you, Daniel, again, for being with us, talking about the characters of Easter. And to all of you listening today, we appreciate you for joining us today on A View from the Wall. We are here to serve you. You can find out more about our ministry at IamAWatchman.com. Support us with your donations as you are able. And we encourage you to join us next time here on A View from the Wall. A View from the Wall, in association with I Am a Watchman Ministries, exists to equip a worldwide audience with biblical truth, sharing it with others, and being prepared for Christ's imminent return. The team seeks to encourage, inspire, and equip watchmen for such a time as this. For information about the ministry and upcoming events, visit IamAWatchman.com. A View from the Wall is made possible by the team of dedicated pastors, editors, and the many contributors of I Am A Watchman Ministries. To support our efforts, give online at IamAWatchman.com and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time on A View from the Wall.